at some point in 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 our on our journey we realized that the fundamental unit of delivery for us is not a person uh, is not an individual but rather a team paying more attention to 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 team dynamics and being able to see um as apply uh, as as a, as a team rather than than a person working for us just became more uh, more effective uh, giving more more uh, positive results on the podcast today we're talking to Greg Sempler the managing director of Ocado Technologies and we're specifically focusing on how their supplier relationships helped them make some changes that they needed to make to meet the challenges that were thrown down to so many organizations in 2020 this is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you a bit of technology news. Today, I'm joined by Akish. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. You just told me that you've been gaming all weekend. I have been gaming, yeah, pretty much all weekend. Uh, so what happens when, you know, you, your other half is not around and you are, uh, yeah, at home in lockdown on the weekend, <laughs> really. What what game? It's not anything on the PS5. Well, you haven't got, gone out and got a new console, have you? I haven't got a PS5, nah. Nah, I've, I've still got the PS4. Um, bit of FIFA and bit of Call of Duty. Uh, right. Yeah. So I had a conversation on Friday. Mm-hmm. Is there a new Call of Duty game coming out or something? This yeah, week? there is, yeah. yeah. Right. I found this fascinating. I was chatting to a CIO. Mm-hmm. No, no word of a lie. Disaster recovery or business continuity. Now planning for the Call of Duty release because everyone's working from home. They expect <laughs> Call of Duty to lag everything up and to make it hard for everyone working from home. Really? What? Because the servers yeah. and Wi-Fi yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Really? Yeah. How I'm mental is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that a game is now registering on. Um, the, the kind of the, the the planning thinking of an enterprise business because of Gosh. course everyone's on their home Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true actually. I didn't I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. And also as a business continuity perspective, also as a business productivity perspective, if I'm honest. I mean if my bosses are listening to this, yeah, I'll be working obviously diligently, but <laughs> my my T V is literally just there. And uh <laughs> up until a few minutes ago actually my controller was on this desk as well, which I've moved it but I could probably grab it in literally like like a few seconds. <laughs> I was like, but it won't really matter because the kids are at school and, you know, and then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. We're, we're not, I'm not really thinking about this. This is like a global thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, no, because it won't slow down Wi-Fi. I, I mean, it's just, it is just one of those things though. If you've got kids and stuff or mm. it's just going to slow stuff down, things are going to get more laggy. And the yeah. amount of people who I've spoken to over the last few months who they work from home and they've got extra routers installed and not told their families or they've got a kill switch on what the kids do because mm. people people will be working in the mornings and the evenings when their kids are home from school and it isn't just kids who play computer games 100% it's also 29 year old you know there you go. adult males that live by themselves in London <laughs> <laughs> that have nothing better to do <laughs> I just thought it was crazy yeah. that actually an enterprise business was going Oh, Call of Duty release. That might make things tricky. Can you imagine that on a on a kind of stand-up meeting? It's like, yeah, this week we need to uh, do some planning around uh, the new release of Call of Duty. And then yeah. there's some people in the boardroom who probably don't know what Call of Duty is thinking. What, what's this? What is it? A new legislation? What's coming out? What's happened? <laughs> <laughs> but that's crazy. That is mental. It just shows, it just shows, right, how 
everything has an effect on kind of our connectivity on our kind of you know ability to be online be a presence online um yeah, yeah it's crazy and, and if anyone who's listened to this just pause for a second and in your head just count how many devices you have at this current moment plugged in to your connection at home and you'll just surprise yourself like i've surprised myself when i've done that in the past and, and little yeah, things that you don't even realize um but yeah it's just mental isn't it it's crazy yeah. it's yeah. crazy there you go. So, if you struggle to get online this week, uh, blame a quiche. Get in touch with the show. Blame a quiche. Yeah, exactly. And also just monitor your Call of Duty hours. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say. Uh, and yeah, and look, if you're trying to do a shop online this week through Ricardo and it takes a little bit longer to kind of process, it might be because someone's playing Call of Duty, uh, which leads us into our interview today, which is with the general manager of Ricardo Technology, Greg Sempler. We will hand over to the interview when we come back. Myself and Akish will have some commentary and then a little bit of technology news later on in the show. So on the podcast today, I'm lucky to be joined by Greg Sempler. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, rather, looking at the time. I haven't realised the days. The day is slipping away already. Yes. Um, look, thank you for joining us. You're, you're the general manager at Ocado Technology. How are you today? Very well, thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. As Clearly had a fraught week and <laughs> quite looking forward to it. It's Friday, it's Friday. Exactly, exactly. And look, I think most people are familiar with Ocado. Uh, and obviously, there's been some some big changes um, that were announced in the press, and people are familiar with those uh, recently. But just in case someone isn't familiar with the brand, what is Ocado Technology? Well, Ocado Technology is a division of Ocado Group. Uh, and the, the, the Ocado Technology stands behind the integrated solutions, that the solution that we provide to, the, to our Ocado uh, in operations, uh, retail and logistics operations, and also for to Morrison's um, in the uh, online operations in the in UK. Uh, but also uh, recently we've uh, signed a number of partnerships between the uh, different between us and the, the various retailers worldwide, um, in which we will be providing our platform to to those retailers. So, what do you do? I mean, general manager. Um... I, I, you know, I tend to have a kind of an idea that a general manager might be something quite akin to a COO, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you actually do within the organisation? Um, well, it's I would say that in technology company, uh, it's it's I don't think it's a widely used uh, uh, role, but I, I think that it, it well represents my responsibilities. Um, I am responsible for everything that is uh, related to technology aspects of our. Um, uh, of our operations in uh, in the UK, so basically supporting uh, Ocado.com and Morrison's online retail and logistics uh, operations. And look, I know that we've already kind of asked you to just tell us a little bit about Ocado Technology, but if if you were trying to describe Ocado Technology to someone who's not familiar and maybe isn't even that familiar with with tech, to be perfectly honest, how how would you describe the business as as quickly as you can so someone really understands what it is that you do yeah um so i think that we need to go back 20 years ago okada was founded as a so-called pure play online grocery uh, retail business but nowadays uh i we we clearly see ourselves as technology company uh, specifically speaking about technology okada technology we're seeing ourselves as a as a innovation factory for this um, for this um, online uh, retail business 
when you think about the, the complexity of the challenge, um, uh, the specific segment of retail business, grocery, comes with a lot of constraints that uh, that cry for optimization provided uh, provided by advanced uh, technology, techniques, te- computer techniques, computer technologies. Thinking about uh, short shelf life, thinking about the size of the baskets, thinking about uh, food segregation and temperature regimes, uh, getting to customers in the most efficient way. This is the, this is the these are the areas in which computers using computer technologies uh, are are crucial to to run such operations profitably. Now. Look, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we all know that technology relies on a huge supply chain and a, and a network of different suppliers. Grocery in particular, again, uh, as everyone is familiar during the pandemic, a huge supply chain. I mean, uh, you only have to look at the images of kind of uh, shelves being run dry to know that it's it's a very complex supply chain. And, and we were very keen today to talk to you about the relationship, I suppose, between a cardo technology and the suppliers that help your business work. So to to really make sure that you're able to deliver the services that you do, your suppliers need to be trusted and have autonomy. How much organizational oversight do you think is the right amount from you as a business to make sure that's a healthy relationship? I would like to start from this trust and autonomy um, uh, piece because it's crucially important for us. It's not only a kind of fluffy PR statement but it's actually enabling us to move fast as we as as we need um okado is a very dynamic organization we could say light on 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 the, on the process and we've been in the situations that um we, we we ran into problems because we wanted to apply so-called standard um, best practices or corporate best practices to managing projects managing initiatives and actually relationships uh, relationships between between ourselves and and suppliers so we were in the situations that we kick off some initiatives and uh, after providing some uh, some oversight to them we landed in the space that the solution that we got in in the, in uh, at the end was not fit for purpose because our organization changed in in the meantime so in this case, uh, it, it was clear that applying um, applying um, best practice that just didn't work, uh, and we found another strategy, which was basically embedding people uh, provided by the supplier in our teams and uh, helping to them to uh, live our culture, be trusted, be, become trusted members of our teams. Um, be, becoming more autonomous as the, the, our teams um, become. And with that, uh, we were achieving much better results because rapid experimentation and delivery cycle just requires more autonomy. It requires trusting the, the team uh, that they will be able to deliver um, quickly and um, and effectively, and it, it also means acceptance of of the fact that sometimes we need to fail. So Okada is definitely an organization that is not risk averse. We are kind of deliberately thinking about um, what we do, how we make stuff, and break stuff. You've talked there about the need to innovate, to fail, and I think it's 
It's uh, clear to everyone that Ocado has faced unprecedented demand in recent months. You work with with a number of suppliers. You work with with a supplier who we know well called DataArt for a number of years. How have those suppliers allowed you to have the flexibility to meet the challenges that you're facing at the moment? Well, if you remember spring this year um, when Boris Johnson announced the lockdown, well, at that moment, two minutes after that, uh, lots of our dashboards turned red. And this is usually the, the Christmas Christmas period is the is the most was the most challenging time for us in terms of m- maintaining performance of our systems. But what we have faced this year was com- completely uh, out of scale. And um, in 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 that in that period, we were basically operating for a number of, week, of weeks. Uh, we were operating in continuous continuous incident response mode with a very, very rapid cycle of uh, reprioritization of our work with decision being ma- made on the spot. Uh, so daily reprioritization cycle is being able to introduce changes in hours or days rather than weeks and months was uh, was possible because of the this relationship that we already had that was based on, on trust and, uh, and autonomy. And I think that in, um, um, in, in specifically in those cases such as data art, where the relationship has existed for a long time and the teams they provide have already had their ownership and responsibility for our core systems. Um, so for for them for for them and for us switching um, switching from the let's priorit- prioritize our backlog mode to let's work together and get things done mode, which happened instant- instantaneously, that was a real game changer. Look, you, you've worked with a number of different suppliers as a business. Um, when someone first works as a supplier with Ocado technology, what, what challenges do you think they need to overcome to work with you? When I was thinking about that, in my past life, I used to work on the other side. So I know a little bit of that reality. And when I was reflecting on that relationship between us and our suppliers, um, specifically in this, during this time, I was just thinking about the aspect of cultural, cultural clash. When, when, I, when I was thinking about uh, the, 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 the challenge of establishing such a relationship with, with, with the company that you would like to, to work with, then you definitely make some assumptions about what, 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 is, what are the areas of value production, in a sense, in, in, in the business. And adapting to the, the culture of the organization, adapting to the, the, its mode of operation is very, very um, important um, success factor, in my view. Uh, because you can apply something that is called a best practice. You can try to copy-paste a different uh, approach to the various, various ways of approaching the, 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 the client. However, getting to the more operational mode, specifically taking into account the very dynamic organization like Ocado Technologies, um, then I think is, is, is a real challenge. So we've mentioned that you work with data art extensively, and you talked about the fact that they have embedded engineers in your business, and you alluded to that earlier on in the podcast. How did that business shift from being a supplier of people to being a supplier of teams? Well, I would, I would, I would say bit by bit, but seriously speaking, it was also a journey for us. At some point in, in, in our, on our journey, 
we realized that the fundamental unit of delivery for us is not a person, uh, is not an individual, but rather a team. And therefore, um, internally in Ecuador technology, but also in relation with uh, with our suppliers, we started speaking more about teams. If you think about this, also specifically, this is speaking about those areas in which we were able to give more autonomy and more responsibility to, to teams created by, uh, by our suppliers. Um, it became... Um, very, very evident that paying more attention to to to, to team dynamics and being able to see um, a supply uh, as as a, as a team rather than than a person working for us just became more uh, more effective, uh, giving more more uh, positive results. So look, the last thing that I just wanted to to ask you about uh, before we, we we close the interview is that a lot of businesses will be looking to suppliers to help drive savings at the moment and streamline businesses. I think that that's not a shock to anyone. Uh, how do you feel, or what do you feel rather, are the chief benefits of working with a partner? In my past role in Okada Technology, I was running um, Okada Technologies Development Center in Krakow in Poland. And at that time, we were asking ourselves um, similar questions about why we are opening new dev, dev centers in other locations. So the question is, to, to some extent, similar. Why we do this? Why we distribute um, uh, our, our workforce across the different geographical locations? Is it only about cost? Is, it, is there anything more? And through the rapid growth of our business, we we just saw the the benefits of that that we've taken this decision to 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 distribute our workforce across different um, regions in, in in Europe, but also to uh, rely on on help uh, of suppliers. Uh, this became specifically uh, visible in, in 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 recent years because when we thought about uh, about cost, actually something that that was completely unacceptable for us was a cost of opportunity, uh, the cost of lost chances. Um, so being able to quickly scale our development workforce and um, uh, face the, 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 the challenges and opportunities that we have in front of us uh, was like a primary motivation for for. Uh, for those moves. So, you know, Okada technology is all about uh, opportunities and uh, and uh, progressing fast, taking risk. This is what we are all about. Well, look, it's been fascinating because obviously, look, Okada is a brand that I've used uh, during the pandemic. I won't, I won't make any secret of that. Uh, I think like a lot of people, whereas I might've thought of going to the shops, uh, and not really ever questioned it as, as as kind of the last few months have gone by increasingly online shopping has just become the norm and i imagine it's one of those kind of you know it's 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 not like going online and buying a pair of trainers it's something that you need to do so i imagine that you've seen some really interesting trends over this period of time it must be fascinating to work through them so i really do appreciate you giving up some time greg to talk about the experience and, and how supplies have helped you through that thank you very much for invitation yeah, I think this is a really interesting interview because obviously Ocado have been in the news a lot this year with um, a change in who you kind of shop through Ocado with and, mm. and we won't go into huge amounts around that. But I think I think the fact that the conversation was all about 
suppliers and supplier relationships and third parties and trust is really fascinating because of the the amount of change that businesses have had to go through and how you would think that a business like Cardo would be already well suited to it, but they themselves facing challenges. Yeah, it just goes to show that even even companies like Ocado, which you would say would be thriving and are thriving, to be yeah. to be honest, you know, they they spoke about that in the, in the interview during this pandemic, where uh, they're providing necessities. You know, it's not it's not luxury products. You know, it's not. I mean, you know, you could argue, yeah, it's the higher end of the the, the kind of grocery market, but you know, they're providing necessities that everyone needs, and the fact that they still struggled to kind of you know, kind of adapt with the changes that happened, um, you know, with those guys in, earlier mm-hmm. on in the year, just goes to show that no business is, is seamless and, and, and kind of, yeah. you know, bulletproof, right? It's, everyone's and, and real. We're not talking about a legacy business here. Mm. We're talking about, in, in Greg's organisation, an organisation that sees themselves as a technology company and an innovation factory for an online resale business where technology is paramount. And I hadn't really thought about the fact that, of course, with groceries, you have got that short shelf life. Mm. You know, veg will go off and therefore you've got mm. temperature concerns. And, mm. uh, it, you know, there are challenges there that tech is crucial to making sure they can they can run successfully. Mm. But, you know, for them, they've had to think about continuous instant response and decisions on the spot. You know, changes can't, as he said, changes have to be hours and days, not weeks and months. Mm. And it's made possible due to their relationship that exists and the fact that those teams that have been integrated in their business over a long period of time, like data art, have been seen to, to be given ownership and responsibility and therefore uh, act at speed. Yeah, exactly. And and I think the lack of red tape, or it seems like there's not much red tape if they need to change decisions if they need to kind of um you know think on the spot like they said that can be done very quickly um and even within the 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 kind of time that we're living in i mean you know do you remember a few months ago where it was you know toilet rolls were the biggest commodity for a few weeks right then it went into uh sanitary products then it went into yeah flour and and cakes and and tins yeah things like that so anywhere exactly so suddenly (laughs) rather than them concentrating on the temperature of i don't know celeries and avocados that might be going off now it's down to plimey you know how are we going to pack all these you know packets of yeast how are we going to do this uh, you know how are we getting flour in the transportation side the drivers um yeah. delivery in terms of the areas because obviously at the same time you've got certain areas that are are you know kind of maybe harder to go to so then it's about kind of you know i guess itemizing that making sure that it's all organized so, so you don't actually realize it well i didn't realize it until i actually listened to the interview earlier on this morning and then kind of just for a second went from my head and went right so from me actually clicking buy and deliver what Mm. processes then happen at the back end to then make sure i get the guy that knocks on the door and goes here you go mate here's your you know whatever you know kind of groceries you need so it's crazy It's, it's crazy but what they do have is they've got a model which has been you know has has tried to be kind of replicated by other people but i think what they do really well is the kind of customer loyalty the 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 kind of service that they provide and also the usability i think um yeah which is very good and and they they had a they had a breakdown right on the during the first pandemic i don't know if i think it was ocado where they just weren't accepting new customers i don't don't know i can't i can't remember that i mean 
Christ, it, you think about the amount of demand that was being placed on those online services. It's- exactly, exactly. Um, so which just goes to show that they were already very popular, already you know doing a lot of things that ahead of their time. And now they're just kind of boosting on that, which is great. Yeah, they're doing amazingly well. But I think it's really interesting that, again – you know, you you mentioned about Lou Rolls, and we joke about mm. flour and yeast. But Greg talks about the cost of opportunity and the cost of opportunity being unacceptable, and that they needed a scalable workforce mm. that could that could help. You know, with the rapid growth, and, and and that could only be done through relying on supplies. So when he talks about, you know, he used to be in charge of the development center in Krakow in Poland. Um, why are we opening development centers in other places, etc.? Why distributed workforce? This is why situations mm. like this being able to respond um, mm. at pace and being able to accept failure is the thing that allows them to mitigate that cost of lost opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and I think just being just being well just not being scared of of failing right is 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 the biggest thing here that that you can get out of it right there, there's going to be a lot of during this pandemic during any you know kind of business uh startup or whether it's kind of a matured business there's going to be an opportunity cost which you know uh, effectively you will probably have to miss out on but yeah. the fact that you are still kind of uh able to then move on and still able to differentiate yourself but also not sit there and think oh christ you know we missed that opportunity or you know our suppliers in you know whatever mills should have you know we should have ordered two tons more of that flour and we would have done this doesn't matter right you you kind of move on you shrug yourself off and 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 you kind of go forward so i think it's good like resilience wise yeah he talks about the fact that standard best practice doesn't work for them Mm. and that allowed them to you know accept that failure is okay yeah but learn from it and implement and 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 move at pace exactly and and it's what we talk about in all these podcasts right it's all about learn from what you've done hey look the market ain't ideal at the moment right so anything mm-hmm. you do can almost be put down to trial and error and yeah. moving market conditions and if it works it works and and you are onto something if it doesn't go back to a drawing board which is inevitably at home at the moment so it's in close proximity and you go again um, yeah you know. It just it just goes to show how important that network of supplies, companies like Data are, are. Mm. even you know to an organisation that are an innovation factory that are at the forefront of tech that yep. you know are a leading brand. They still need that network of suppliers to allow them to work in in the situation in the world in which we find ourselves. Now. Yeah, exactly. And and I think with those guys, God, he didn't admit it, but they would probably be screwed. You know, with with their their flashing uh, red light. You know, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So I th- I think the the relationships that they have, the trust that they have in their suppliers in order to advise, guide, and yeah, yeah. and help kind of get through, that's all also epic. And and I think anyone. Um, and those are the things that I'm sure will help them get through Christmas because I can oh. imagine. It's going to be yes. very. I mean, they're already talking about across yes. retail as a whole. Never mind groceries, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a, a supply issue because the ports are trying to get PPE in at the same time mm. as whatever else. And mm. Black Friday coming up Oof. this week. Also, I, w- I wonder what the trend's going to be at Christmas. You know, it was all like banana yes. loaves and that sort of thing. Is it, do you reckon it's going to be homemade Yorkshire puddings or something? Do you reckon it's going to be that all of that over Instagram? I don't know. How do you how do you best baste your turkey? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. right. <laughs> Greg, thank you for being our guest on today's show. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got a bit of tech news.
Now that we're officially in the run into Christmas, why not think about giving a gift with a story behind it? Alive and Kicking are using football as a force for good and helping to support mental health education across Africa. You can do the same by giving someone a football from aliveandkicking.org forward slash shop. Now the football's come in retro 90s kit designs. So go have a look and give a unique gift that will help make a huge difference to more than just the person who receives it this Christmas. Right, I've not heard of DoorDash. I, I'm guessing it's an American thing. Have I have I just missed it entirely? Yeah, I'm the same as you. Never heard of Fine. it. Never heard of it. I think it is definitely an American thing. I don't think they're in the UK. Um, so let's let's kind of give everyone a, a, an idea about what we're talking about. DoorDash food delivery app announces plans to go public. US company has thrived during the coronavirus pandemic. So DoorDash, if you're not familiar, US delivery app um, that's business has quadrupled during the, the coronavirus pandemic. They were founded by four Stanford University students in 2013. They've got about a million dashes, delivery workers, and more than 18 million customers. Okay. Uh, the company with 49% of meal delivery sales in September will join rivals Grubhub and Uber in the public markets, but compared to Uber's 22% and Grubhub's 20% market share, DoorDash is the dominant player. It boomed during the pandemic with revenues growing by 226%. So that's nuts, but equally Crazy. the amount I, I've used, I've used Deliveroo probably more than I would have done pre-pandemic recently. Yeah. So probably. I can believe it. Yeah. I just... Yeah. Now, the reason why we're talking about this, though, is that they describe their people as dashers, mm. but they're also fighting the idea that they should be classified as employees because in its public prospectus, DoorDash explicitly warns that if dashers are reclassified as employees under federal or state law or our business, financial condition and results of operations would be adversely affected. The company has also faced challenges over its tipping system, which instead of going directly to workers is used to support guaranteed minimum pay. Right. Last year, Washington, D.C. Attorney General uh, Carl Racine uh, filed charges against DoorDash over the practice, describing it as deceptive. Hmm. Now, a business that is so reliant on its million dashes yep. that has grown or quadrupled during the pandemic, yep. I get the gig economy, but to come out and so blatantly say it's a it's bad for our company when the company is doing amazingly well. Like I don't know about you, but I I have made sure, and I've noticed recently, I, I make sure with the gig economy with stuff like with Deliveroo that I tip on Deliveroo. Yeah. And whenever I whenever I've had food given over at the doorstep recently, the guy or or uh it's normally it's normally a guy to be honest, but if you know whoever it might be, if it's guy or girl yeah. who um hands me over the food, says thank you. Mm. And you know it, you know, I know from work that dot everyone did last year that tipping is one way that you can make a real difference to workers in the gig economy. Yeah. And then to find out that there's this company in the States who's doing astronomically well but are so obviously insular looking and uncaring is just yep. a bit shit. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things there, right? There's there's the whole kind of tee off between what are these people employees? Are they self-employed? Are they, you know, do they have the flexibility to work for a couple of hours in the evening or the afternoon, yeah. whatever? And and you know, should they then be considered as employees in the sense that they get benefits and all that sort of stuff, right? So that's one argument. The second argument, which to to carry on your point, is ridiculous. Like and I'm the same as you, to be honest, and this sounds really bad. I never used to tip 
Deliveroo, Uber, you know, decent. Yeah, no, like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. Never a tip. I didn't really realize because yeah. I was just like, look, you know, you guys uh, are providing a service, whatever. And it, it might sound snobby. Amount sign. I might sound like a little prick, but it no, just wasn't the case. But I think since the whole kind of pandemic, and then you realize actually what you know people are going to go through. In fact, this weekend on Friday, I ordered something on Deliveroo, and I didn't realize the weather right inside. So I'm sat in a house, heating on, everything yeah. like that. Don't really know what elements are kind of banging your windows. Not until I opened the door and I saw this guy in a hood jacket, you know, and it was raining, it was windy, it was wet, and he was coming and delivering some food for me. I thought, you know what? That's that's crazy, you know. So I, I said, look, yeah, thank you very much. Um, you know, and then and kind of made sure that I tipped him because the fact that he's kind of going out of his way, yes, he's trying to earn a living for himself, but he's also providing a service to you, yeah. which, you know, is saving you time, giving you a bit of ease and accessibility. And, and it's kind of frontline, you know, going exactly. around. Exactly, 100%, 100%. And not even let's, not, forget, let's not lose sight of that. We were all kind yeah. of very aware of it towards the springtime. Yeah, exactly. Not even frontline, mate. It, he's putting his living safety. I mean, he's riding around on a moped yeah. when the roads are all slippery. Yeah. It's dark as hell and windy. Do you know what I mean? Forget like, the whole COVID thing. It's, it's about his health and his limbs. You know, he, he yeah. could, so whatever. So you kind of start tipping. And, and for the fact that, America being that big, and obviously the distances I imagine are, are fairly, you know, bigger as compared to the ones around here. Yeah. Then and what? What I don't understand as well is in in the states there's a culture of tipping, right? Like it's a thing. Yeah, if you yeah. don't tip a waitress, it's a, like it, it's seen as a really bad thing, mm, right? Mm, or it mm. always or it always was. You kind of got that impression from films. Mm. Certainly, like if I think about the beginning of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had yeah. that long conversation about tipping, right? Um, so you'd kind of think in the states a company that is underhand in how it goes about tipping someone or is misleading hmm. would be wholesale rejected. And I kind of think like when, hmm. when a delivery person comes to my door and I've, I've tipped them a couple of quid and it's not a huge amount, but it's a little bit and they say, thank you. Then I go, all right, that's obviously going to them. It's making a difference. It's helping. Great. Hmm. But maybe we should be more careful and have a look at some of these peer, to, peer gig economy platforms and make yeah. sure that if you're tipping, it does actually go yeah. to the person that's providing you that service. As you say, they put themselves out there in, yeah frankly horrible conditions to yeah. make your life easier yeah exactly and and also the thing is uh i, th I think with these companies it, it, they need to be a bit more transparent around you know kind of who's who's actually receiving it. it's the same thing as when people say oh you know you donate a pound to a charity let's say you know we're mm. not going to mention any names but there's adverts and stuff that come up you donate two pounds but only 25p or 15p actually go to that cause right there's yep. a lot of kind of change that gets taken away during the link. So I think it's the same here. Whereas, let's be honest, it's not costing the you know the companies much. It's probably just an app. They register, they get all their security verification, these sorts of things done, and then it's bring your own transport. So the company's not providing them a scooter or a bicycle or a car. They're not providing them, you know, kind of anything really. They're literally just yep. providing them an app to then kind of move things forward. Yeah. And if if the least they can do is is not sit at home i know you've gone to stanford and the creators are four you know they're probably really brainy people and how they've done chaos congratulations right? on yeah. the company you've created exactly, have, a exactly. little, have a little heart exactly have a little heart especially when your country is in a bit of a turmoil at the moment and people need some you know kind of pick me up and this is the way to get yeah. through because i can't imagine the people to be the most kind of you know wealthiest or, or well-off people in the states that are actually dashes so to speak yeah so look after them you know look after your people man because 
what we talked about over the last six, seven months here is just having a bit of heart, being a bit human. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope, I, I, I no doubt that they'll, they'll do well in this IPO. We've got no doubts about that. Um, but it all comes down to that business ethics side, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's, I um, just think, I just think there's a general message there as well to remind people that double check exactly what, what, where the money goes, but mm. tipping makes a grand, great deal of difference to mm. gig, gig, gig economy workers. It's a good thing to do. Keisha makes some good point, not just about the pandemic. It's a horrible time of year. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway, mate, I'm keeping you from uh, Call of Duty, right? So, or FIFA. <laughs> nah, not yet, mate. Not yet. I'm uh, I'm hard at work here. What's the time? <laughs> oh, actually, it's my lunch break. It's just gone past twelve. <laughs> so yeah, might uh, yeah, might, might play a little bit on my lunch. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Absolutely, everyone needs a break. That's it, mate. Yeah. This is this, this is where all enterprise businesses in the country crash. Lunchtime. <laughs> yeah. When Call of Duty's out, bang, gone. Exactly. Right okay uh i will let you go thank you for listening into today's podcast we'll be back on friday I don't-